Welcome to the History of Podcast. This is Steve, your host, and welcome to the Civil War era. For the next few episodes, we are going to be talking about the American Civil War. First, it will be the road to disunion, then the Civil War itself, and then we will cover Reconstruction. But I like to teach them as one unit. So, Sit back, enjoy, thank you for joining us. The American Civil War, Part 1, The Road to Disunion, 1846-1860 The Wilmot Proviso of 1846. So what happened? In August 1846, David Wilmot, a previously little-known congressman from Pennsylvania, attached a rider, or proviso, to an appropriations bill barring slavery from any territory acquired as a result of the Mexican War. Supported in the North and opposed in the South, the Wilmot Proviso passed the House twice, but was defeated in the Senate. Why did Wilmot propose this proviso? Since the passage of the Missouri Compromise of 1820, both political parties attempted to suppress divisive questions about the status of slavery in Western territories. Wilmot defended his proviso as a necessary means of ensuring the rights of white freemen to live and work in the new territories without the unfair burden of competing with slave labor. Why should we remember the Wilmot Proviso? The Wilmot Proviso became a rallying point for the anti-slavery coalition that formed the Free Soil Party. The Free Soilers became active participants in the 1848 election. They pledged to support free soil, free speech, free labor, and free men. Apprehensive Southern leaders warned that the Wilmot Proviso marked the beginning of a long-postponed attack on slavery. Determined to defend their peculiar institution, they denounced any attempt to restrict the expansion of slavery. The Wilmot Proviso reawakened dormant sectional tensions over the expansion of slavery. It thus marked the beginning of a long series of increasingly acrimonious crises that dominated American politics until the outbreak of the Civil War in 1861. Supporters of the Wilmot Proviso argued that slavery degraded free labor. They believed that free soil would guarantee liberty, free competition, and a worker's right to rise. The Compromise of 1850. The growing sectional differences between the North and South over the extension of slavery touched off one of the most dramatic Senate debates in American history. Henry Clay hoped to once again play his historic role of the Great Compromiser. The now 73-year-old senator from Kentucky offered a package of resolutions designed to settle the outstanding issues and restore sectional harmony. Clay's proposals included the following key points. The immediate admission of California as a free state, the organization of territorial governments in Utah and New Mexico without an immediate decision as to whether they would be free or slave, the the abolition of domestic slave trade in Washington, D.C., the enactment of a stringent new Fugitive Slave Act. The debate over Clay's proposals featured dramatic speeches by Danny Webster and John C. Calhoun. Webster's March 7th speech implored Northern Southerners, Northern and Southern Senators to find common ground for the preservation of the Union. 
After months of rancorous debate, Stephen A. Douglas of Illinois successfully maneuvered Clay's proposals through the Senate as separate bills. It is interesting to note that Abraham Lincoln did not participate in the negotiations that resulted in the passage of the Compromise of 1850 since he was not a member of Congress. The Compromise of 1850 seemed to diffuse the crisis and establish an uneasy sectional peace. Americans now turned to what they hoped would be a bright future undisturbed by the issue of slavery in the territories. This hope proved to be fleeting. The Kansas-Nebraska Act of 1854. So Harriet Beecher Stowe and Uncle Tom's Cabin will be the first topic. The Compromise of 1850 temporarily settled the issue of slavery in the territories. Up until now, everything was essentially a band-aid put on a wound. However, the furor over the Fugitive Slave Act kept the issue of slavery alive. At the time, southern planters were losing about a thousand runaway slaves a year. The Fugitive Slave Act imposed heavy fines and jail sentences for those who helped runaways escape. The act intensified anti-slavery sentiment because it required northerners to enforce slavery. The Fugitive Slave Act appalled Harriet Beecher Stowe, the dedicated abolitionist. She wrote, Uncle Tom's Cabin to help readers understand the cruelty of the slave system by vividly describing the fear and panic endured by slaves. First published in book form in 1852, Uncle Tom's Cabin sold 305,000 copies within a year and soon became an international sensation, selling 2.5 million copies worldwide. Uncle Tom's Cabin intensified anti-slavery sentiment in the North. At the time, it aroused resentment in the South. Stephen A. Douglas and Popular Sovereignty In January of 1854, Senator Stephen A. Douglas of Illinois reopened the issue of slavery in the territories by proposing a bill that would organize two new territories, Kansas and Nebraska. Both territories were part of the Louisiana Purchase Territory, where the Missouri Compromise banned slavery. In order to win Southern support, Douglas included an amendment specifically repealing the Missouri Compromise. Douglas's bill proposed that the people of Kansas and Nebraska would be allowed to decide for themselves whether their states would be free or slave, letting the settlers of a given territory have the sole right to decide whether or not slavery would be permitted within their borders was known as popular sovereignty. Congress finally passed Douglas's Kansas-Nebraska Act after a divisive debate that sharpened antagonism between the North and the South. Douglas was indifferent to the moral issues raised by slavery. His primary interest was to secure Southern support for a transcontinental railroad terminus in Chicago. Momentous Consequences of this act. The Kansas-Nebraska Act broke the uneasy truce between the North and the South. Indignant Northerners denounced the act as a violation of the Missouri Compromise's sacred pledge to ban slavery north of the 36-30 degree line. The Kansas-Nebraska Act placed Whigs opposed to slavery in a difficult position. As, it, as a result, it destroyed the Whig Party in the Deep South and contributed to the demise of the party in the North. The Kansas-Nebraska Act galvanized a spontaneous outpouring of popular opposition in the North that led to the formation of the Republican Party. 
The fear over the Kansas-Nebraska Act even affected American foreign policy. The Pierce administration hoped to buy Cuba from Spain. The American minister's meeting in Austin, Belgium, drew up a secret memorandum urging Pierce to invade Cuba if Spain refused to sell the island. When the so-called Austin Manifesto became public, it ignited a storm of opposition to what seemed like a plot to extend slavery. Public outcry forced Pierce to abandon his plan to obtain Cuba. The Rise of the Republican Party The Democrats and Whigs formed a two-party system that dominated American politics from the 1830s to the early 1850s. The Fuhrer over the Kansas-Nebraska Act dealt the Whigs a fatal blow by leading to the formation of the Republican Party. Kansas marked the first important test of popular sovereignty. Within a short time, bleeding Kansas became a battleground between pro-slavery and anti-slavery settlers. That's what happens when you let the people who are settling an area decide these things. They will fight until they have got they want. Kansas soon found itself with two governments, one opposed to slavery but rested upon a small minority of the population. The other government opposed slavery and represented the majority opinion in the embattled territory. The Democrats accepted the pro-slavery government and committed their party to the admission of Kansas as a slave state. In contrast, the Republicans opposed the Kansas-Nebraska Act and supported the anti-slavery forces in Kansas. The Whig Party completely disintegrated under the pressure of violence in Kansas. As their party collapsed, Whigs joined the rapidly growing Republican Party. Anti-slavery Democrats and former Know-Nothings, the Know-Nothing Party, also joined the burgeoning, rapidly growing Republican coalition. The Republicans held their first national convention in 1856. The party nominated John C. Fremont for president and adopted a platform opposing slavery. The Democrats turned to James Buchanan of Pennsylvania and endorsed the Kansas-Nebraska Act. An 1856 election was quickly transformed into a sectional contest. Although Buchanan won the election, Fremont carried 11 free states. The results underscored the ominous sectionalism of politics in an increasingly polarized nation. The Dred Scott Case of 1857 Dred Scott was a slave who belonged to John Emerson, an army surgeon assigned to a post in Missouri. When the army transferred Emerson from the slave state of Missouri to the free state of Illinois, he took Scott with him as a servant. The pair then moved to the Wisconsin Territory, an area where the Missouri Compromise expressly forbade slavery. When Emerson died, Scott returned to Missouri where he was placed under the authority of his former master's wife. Helped by abolitionists, Scott sued for his freedom. He contended that living as a free man in a living in a free state, not as a free man, and in a territory uh, that was free made him a free man. But this caused legal questions. So did Dred Scott have a right to bring his case into the federal courts? Scott has that right only if he were a citizen of the United States. Did Dred Scott become a free man by living in a free state and in a free territory? If yes, this would limit slavery since most slave owners would not risk taking their human property into a free state. Did Congress have the authority to prohibit slavery in the territories? If not, then the Missouri Compromise restriction on slavery in the territories was actually unconstitutional. So what was the decision? 
led by Chief Justice Robert B. Taney, the Supreme Court ruled that neither slaves nor free blacks were citizens in the political community created by the Constitution. Taney declared that slaves were chattel property, so far inferior that they have no rights which the white man is bound to respect. Since Dred Scott was not a citizen, he was not entitled to sue in federal court. The court emphatically ruled that Scott did not become free by living in a free state or a free territory. The court ruled that as the constitutionally protected form of property, slaves could be taken into any state or territory. The Dred Scott decision therefore declared Missouri Compromise to be unconstitutional. This marked the first time the Supreme Court struck down an act of Congress since the Marbury v. Madison decision in 1803. The Consequences of the Dred Scott Decision The Dred Scott Decision repealed the Missouri Compromise, which established the principle that Congress could not limit the spread of slavery in the territories. The Dred Scott decision invalidated the Republican Party's platform pledge opposing the extension of slavery into the territories. Although this initially appeared to be a serious setback, Republicans redoubled their efforts to win the presidency. They promised that a victory would enable them to change the composition of the Southern-dominated Supreme Court and reverse the Dred Scott decision. The Dred Scott decision played a key role in a series of debates between Stephen A. Douglas and his Republican rival, Abraham Lincoln. During the debate in Freeport, Illinois, Lincoln asked Douglas if there were any way of people of territory, the people of territory could keep slavery from their land before they were organized into a state, in what came to be called as the Freeport Doctrine. Douglas responded that the settlers could prevent slavery by refusing to pass a slave code defining a slave's legal status and the rights of the owner. The Freeport Doctrine outraged the South and cost Douglas political support he would need in the 1860 presidential election. The Union in Peril The Consequences of John Brown's Raid on Harper's Ferry John Brown's doomed raid on, Her- on Harper's Ferry in 1859 set a wave of fear throughout the slaveholding South. As rumors of slave insurrection swept across the region, frightened Southerners suppressed all criticism of slavery. Pro-slavery Southerners in- incorrectly linked John Brown to the now-hated Black Republican Party. Although his raid was a military failure, John Brown became a martyr for the anti-slavery cause. John Brown's raid on Harper's Ferry intensified the sectional bitterness and left the nation on the brink of disunion. The election of 1860. The Democratic Party fragmented into two factions. Northern Democrats nominated Stephen A. Douglas on a platform of promising congressional non-interference with slavery. Deep South Democrats nominated John C. Breckinridge on a platform calling for a national slave code that would protect slavery in the territories. The Republicans met in Chicago, sensing that they had an excellent opportunity to, opportunity to defeat, defeat the now-divided Democrats. The Lincoln-Douglas debates transformed Lincoln into a nationally known figure. The Republicans, therefore, nominated Lincoln on a third ballot. The Republican platform stated that slavery would continue to be protected in the states where it already existed. However, the Republican Party firmly opposed the expansion of slavery into western territories. Lincoln won the election by carrying all 18 free states, but he did not win a single state in the South. The Failure of Compromise 
Lincoln's victory precipitated the secession of South Carolina and six other states in the Deep South. In a final desperate effort to save the Union, Senator John Crittenden of Kentucky proposed to restore the boundary line between the slave and free states established by the Missouri Compromise of 1820. The line would be extended to include the new territories in the West. Lincoln refused to support the Crittenden Compromise because it violated the Republican opposition against the, uh, against the further extension of slavery into the Western territories. The heated atmosphere of distrust allowed those who refused to compromise in both the North and the South to oppose all efforts to achieve a compromise. The nation thus continued on an inexorable, cannot be stopped, <laughs> road to disunion and a bloody civil war. Thank you once again for joining me on the History of Podcast. Before I sign off, just remember to make history every day. See you next time on the History of Podcast.